welcome to Yes, We Do Adopt, a podcast dedicated to the experiences, challenges, and triumphs of adoptive families headed by people of color. My name is Malika Parker, and I am a Black mama who is parenting through adoption and birth. I also work as the director of the Adoptive Parents of Color Collaborative, a project of PACT and Adoption Alliance. PACT is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to serve adopted children of color. In order to best serve children's needs, we provide not only adoptive placement services, but also lifelong education support and community for adoptees and their families on issues of adoption, identity, and race. The Adoptive Parents of Color Collaborative is working to elevate the voices of people of color who are parenting through adoption and foster care. Yes, We Do Adopt is one of the ways we hope to share our stories. Our second season was recorded in 2020. In the middle of a global pandemic, COVID-19, racial uprisings as a result of state-sanctioned violence, here in California, we're dealing with wildfire season, and most of 2020, we were anxiously awaiting the results of a presidential election that will have deep, deep impacts on the trajectory of the future of this country. So this season, we decided to center the voices and experience of Black folks. On today's episode, I welcome Ijeoma Onojuju. Ijeoma, or IJ as I call him, is a professor and scholar and racial justice advocate in schools. IJ graciously agreed to spend time speaking with me just after we completed a webinar on schools, race, and adoption. In this episode, IJ and I talk about schools, race, and parenting through a global pandemic. Welcome to the show, IJ. IJ, for this podcast, most of the people who will be listening are people of color who are parenting children of color. And one of the things that comes up, teachers have this narrative of who we are, right? People of color, right? And then as parents, we have this narrative of what schools are. We are sending our children into spaces that also oppressed us, right? And and we have to because it's mandated because that's what the world of capitalism requires because we have to go to work and our children have to go to school. But so when we engage with teachers, we're, it's a complicated thing. Do you have strategies for, for people of color, for parents of color who are going into schools who might feel dismissed when they just step in the door before they even say anything, who don't, who might not feel like they're being taken seriously. Do you have any strategies that you think would be helpful for them? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is don't discount your instincts. Right. You know what it feels like. And so I think sometimes as parents, we, we, feel uncomfortable, we feel whatever it is coming from our children's schools, and we kind of write it off. Mm-hmm. We kind of say, oh, this must not be it. Like, oh, we begin to make excuses. We're like, no, but this is a, a, you know, a top school. And, you know, or we start rationalizing, well, they're going to have to learn how to deal with it at some point. But if you feel it, your children feel it more. Yeah. And so the, that, the first step is just like, be honest with yourself. Like, don't discount your natural instincts because your natural instincts are telling you something is wrong for a reason, right? And you have to listen to that side of you and not allow. 
sometimes I, I feel like we got we we can't let the education get in the way of what we know that we know, right? We because we some of us, you know, we we've, we've had success, we've gone to college, we've gone and got the masters and extra et cetera, et cetera. We we, we let that kind of talk us out of really acknowledging that no, this place is something's not right about this place for me or for my child. Uh, the other strategy I would just say is their strength in numbers. Anything that, that you want to do for your child, I would do it in concert with other parents. I think that is the most powerful tool that we have at our disposal because schools tend to respond better when it's a group of parents addressing an issue rather than one parent. And, the, and part of that is, is we have to readopt that mentality that we are a community and that we're not individuals. We move through this world as individuals, not because moving through this world individually is to the benefit of us, but it's to the benefit of the powers that be. It's the, to the benefit of an oppressive system. The system wants individuality because it, it then knows it does not have to defend itself as vigorously as if it was combating a collective mentality, right? And so when you say like, my kid is having this issue, it's almost like uh, asking a question, right? You know, when you're in a presentation and the teacher is say like, please ask your question because somebody else in this class probably has the same question. Right. It's the same exact thing. Like, please include me and whatever it is that you're fighting for, for your child, because my child is probably dealing with the same thing that your child is dealing with. Mm -hmm. and, you, and, and the thing is, is you don't know until you begin to actually like open up. Now, of course, that, that requires a level of trust because you don't want to just share the personal business that your child has in the school with any old body. But learning how to work with others, learning how to fight with others on behalf of your child and their child makes schools move faster and, and, and makes them really kind of take, take seriously what you're doing. Uh, and then the other piece is just, you know, making sure that there are formal accountability measures each and every time you have a conversation, right? To really push for concrete outcomes, not kind of like outcomes that that are aren't detailed and and specific, right? But making sure like, no, I, I need kind of some detailed, concrete specific outcomes that I can then hold you accountable to later on, right? Right. If, if you're going to do something, if you're going to train your teachers, like by what date are you going to train your teachers? And what exactly are you going to train your teachers on? Because I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask to see the training materials and I'm going to check you if it's not done by that date you said it would. So those are the types of things, the, the three things off the top of my head that I think would be beneficial to our, our families. Thank you for that, IJ. In this moment, we are in shelter in place and we and our children are at home for school. What do you see as some of the issues and some of the opportunities with this moment in education? Major issues, major opportunities. Some of our kids are really suffering. You'd be surprised what some of our children are trying to escape mm -hmm. from by going to school every single day, mm -hmm. right? And, and I don't discount myself from that mm -hmm. because I don't know how my daughter feels about every single thing that is done in our house. 
I, I pray and I work every day to create a home and an environment that is loving, one that she like just wants to be at all the time. But I know that for her and for a lot of other kids, they're not getting that. Right. And so now school was a safe place for me. You're not allowing me to come to this safe place. You're forcing me to be in this place that I don't necessarily feel is safe. And that's hard to hear, but not every children views home as a safe place. And so just noticing that a lot of kids are, are really struggling with not being able to go to school. A lot of kids are struggling with the fact that school was a source of nourishment for them, right? Mm -hmm. And so now that I'm not getting that daily nourishment, what does that mean for me and my family? And then it's the learning piece. You know, our, our kids learn in a variety of ways, but some of our kids really need that one-on-one -on -one or that, that, that interaction, that human connection to the learning, and we've essentially turned learning into a virtual experience. Right. And so those are some of the things that I've just been noticing that, they, that our youth have really been struggling with here. As parents who are, or caregivers who are supporting our children, doing schoolwork at home, one of the things that you have to balance, right, is there's a lot that's going on in our society right now. And we were um, just talking about this in, a, in the conversation we were just in, that there has been an uprising around police brutality and state-sanctioned violence and, and, and then dealing with the impacts of COVID-19, right, and what that means for children who are worried about families. So managing all of that, right, wanting to... Make sure that your kiddos are taking it, it seriously, but then also wanting to make sure that you're taking seriously the mental health aspect of it, right? Many parents, like myself and you, are also working during all of this time, right? <laughs> yes. um, and so, so you're like holding up the world and, and trying to be an intentional parent at the same time. And it's a really delicate balance. I definitely know as a parent that like, I've, I've, I've really worked to make sure that my kids are participating in school. And there have been days where, where I'm like, we are all just gonna lay down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I've done that with my daughter too. Like, right? Like, just please get up, sign in, let them know that you're at least there and then chill for today. Cause I see, you know, you can see in your child when they're like, hey, I'm at my breaking point. Right. And right. you can keep forcing it, mom, or you can keep forcing it, dad. But look, something's going to break and you don't want it to be me. Right. Right. One of the things that I really hear you saying, and I've been thinking about a lot, is how do we move to the space of imagining ourselves as our children's assistants? Right. How do we make sure they have what they need? And that like in terms of school, in terms of their mental health, in terms of like all of that stuff. Right. And sometimes they can be conflicting. Um, and if our job is to support them and all of the things, then many times we have to listen to their guidance and you know and sometimes we have to be the ones that are <laughs> doing the guiding <laughs> but they really do like what that just brought up for me when you said that IJ is that they actually spend a lot of time paying attention to themselves you know and 
and they might not always be able to talk about it, but I definitely have had a few moments where recently where I've looked at one of my kids and been like, oh, you're done. <laughs> it is time to shut this computer off, put away the schoolwork. You're done. And, you know, and, and I think that's important. There have been other moments where I've been like, okay, so we're going to stop playing now, you know, and like now it's going to actually be in school. Right? And that doesn't mean playing on the video games that uh, were assigned as extra credit work by your teacher. You know, Malaki, you said something there that I think is, is really important. I want to, I want to, you know, just kind of highlight it. And that is the device usage. Many of us, I, I know you are like this, I'm like this too. We lived in a place where we were trying to limit uh, device interaction. Mm -hmm. And now our children are being forced to interact with devices like every single day. Their time has doubled, but I think that means that we have to be even more vigilant yeah. about looking at the devices that they are on and really saying to them, okay, like put put the tablet down, put the phone down, put the computer down because you've been on it all day. Yeah. You had to deal with it when it came to school, you, you know what I mean? And forcing our kids to, you know, let's get out of the house in the safest way possible, but let's get out of the house. Let's let's get you in tune with your body. Yeah. Let's do some running around, some some jumping up and down, some walking, some whatever the case may be. But life can't just be about me and my tablet. Right. Yeah. No, I've I've gotten in the habit of calling for body breaks. I love that. Body yeah. breaks. And it's it's been really helpful because it's super simple for teens. They're schedule is more intense than like the younger ones but it's language that I've used with all of them and it seems to be really helpful and I've said the exact thing that you just said like you can't stare at a screen all day you can't and I've now gotten in more of a habit of talking about like mental health right and like yeah being inside on a screen actually is really detrimental to your mental health and like being outside has all of these healing quality like there's all of this stuff that you actually have to take in and being outside actually helps to heal you and helps to give your body an extra vitamin boost so that you are able to fend things off. And yeah, but it's, it's, it's interesting. It feels like overnight we've gone from like very little use to like, you know, it really can get out of control really fast. Um, really fast. Really fast. Leading up to parenting, I had all of this time to think about, you know, how I wanted to be as a parent, what my thoughts were on technology, like all of this stuff that I had an approach that was well thought out. And then overnight, <laughs> we're like a, a device-based family and I, was, I wasn't ready for it. A couple of weeks before the shelter in place, I was talking with my my three youngest children about like very contained 30 minutes a day online, right? <laughs> With like very strict parental guidelines. It was a whole thing that we had worked out. And, and now I'm like, well, that's, that's done. Like there's no, we, that's been blown up. Yeah. So it's a new, it's a new world. And I think it's a helpful interjection for us to think about what does this look like long-term? So how do we plant the seeds now that will help us in the future be able to navigate this? We are privileged to be able to 
create device usage guidelines for our families, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of families who don't have devices to, to even begin to think about how do I manage their time? How do I manage their interaction, right? And when you couple that, like, it's easy to look at COVID-19 and George Floyd separately. And doing that is a mistake. Like, you almost have to take a step back and say, over the last three months, what has this country said about the Black man and the Black woman's worth? What has this country said about people of color and their worth to the overall country, right? And when you really start adding up the pieces, it is not saying that our lives are, are, are very worthy of anything, right? Again, not arguing with any decisions that have been made as it relates to our safety, but also saying those decisions that were made as it relates to our safety did not look at if those decisions were in the best interest of people of color, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When our community, like when you look at these 30 million folks that they talk about have lost jobs, well, what percentage of those folks are coming from our communities, right? right. Uh, the, the, the restaurant workers, the retail workers, you have companies like JCPenney saying like, we're completely out of the, the box business altogether. You can shop online, but we're not going to have stores anymore. Well, how many people of color did JCPenney's employ that now are like, I don't have a job anymore? Yeah. So the collective, the frustration that I feel like we're experiencing is a collective frustration that says like, hey, my life matters. It matters that I don't have access to a computer at home and my teachers are still requiring me to do homework that needs a computer. Right, right. It, it shouldn't have had to take a pandemic for the school to decide, oh, we're going to give you a device now when I've been telling you, like, I've been needing a device. You've been requiring things of me that, so I'm writing reports on my phone. Right. Because I don't have a computer. So those are the types of things that I really think about and say, like, when we, when we look at the totality of things that are happening around us, we really have to take into consideration that violence is not only enacted through physical means. Violence is enacted upon our children every day in terms of their interactions at school, the interactions with their teacher, their interactions with, right? And look at how do we put a ceasefire to violence in all of its different capacities and all mm -hmm. of the different locations that it can happen to ourselves and our children. And I mean, the academic piece is, is where it really gets bad because I have for years been standing on the mountaintop, I feel like yelling at the top of my lungs that we have an equity issue in our schools. We have been ignored for years when it comes to this conversation where it's like people really act like there isn't a problem. I think it's important that we recognize that and that we do everything that we can for our children, but for also other children that we have influence with to ensure that, that they're taken care of in this moment. Well, I mean, that was the perfect place to end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't go out on a mic drop like that. <laughs> I'm just vibing off of you, Malika. That's all I'm doing. <laughs>
Thank you for joining us, IJ. For more information about the Adoptive Parents of Color Collaborative, you can find us at adoptiveparentsofcolor.org. For more information about PACT and Adoption Alliance, upcoming events, webinars, educational offerings, and support, you can find us at pactadopt.org. If you're looking for a way to support the Adoptive Parents of Color Collaborative and you're enjoying this podcast, a super easy way to offer your support, we would love to have your positive review and for you to like and share this podcast with your friends and community. Thank you. Until next time.